and welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Rochelle Lay, it is fantastic to have you on She's the Boss Chats. Thank you so much for agreeing to be my guest. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. I'm, um, I have to say I'm a bit of a fangirl. I have uh, totally listened to your podcast in the shower every morning for the last few weeks. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So excited to be here. Yeah. Well, so it's your turn. Okay. So how about we start first by you telling everybody what it is that you're doing now? Um, okay, so I live in the beautiful Armadale in New South Wales, up in the New England region. So for people who don't know, kind of up near Tamworth, you know, the big golden guitar, that kind of area. Right. <laughs> I've got a uh, fantastic business up here uh, that I founded a few years ago called Regional Colab. Uh, and so Regional Colab essentially helps uh, rural, regional and remote businesses and specifically focused on women, just because that happens to be one of the things that I have specialised in. most. And where it's most needed. Absolutely. Um, And so I help women with business strategy. I help them looking for funding and creating funding strategies because, um, you know, when you talk about funding, people think about grants all the time, but funding is actually that sort of broader range of where do I find the money? How do I actually get a pipeline? What's my runway look like for my business? So I kind of help them with that. I do a bit of entrepreneurship um, training as well and also work on creating programs and projects just within rural Australia where we're addressing a particular need. So, for example, getting women back into work or training women in non-traditional roles and that kind of thing. So that's what I do in Regional Colab. So that's amazing. Now, you don't just do Regional Colab, do you? You've just launched something in the last week and I know there's something else that you're doing. So tell us everything. I love hearing about entrepreneurs that can't help themselves. Yeah, so, yeah. I feel like I'm possibly the walking, talking uh, definition of entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> so little time. But um, I also have a tech platform that I've been developing for the last 12 months called Idaside. And Idaside is um, it's it's gen it's a online platform for storing and sharing your end of life documents. Hashtag death tech. <laughs> um, and that comes from a really strange experience in my life, which I think we'll talk about later. Um, I've had I've had a bit of a background in, you know, managing and coping with palliative care and death and that kind of thing. And so what came to me one night was that we all need to actually have a safe place to store our documents, you know, so our wills and powers of attorney and that kind of thing, and then be able to share that information with our loved ones or our trusted advisors um, so that, yeah, when the time comes, they know where your stuff is and that you are actually prepared as well. So that's kind of the catalyst there of starting either side. Um, and then, yeah, other stuff, I <laughs> I think you call my career a portfolio career. Um, <laughs> someone said that to me once. I'm like, that's awesome. I think that's, that's a great really name. Wonderful. I like it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I also sit on a range of boards. So I'm on the National Rural Women's Coalition. I sit on the Classification Review Board. Um, which is a fantastic book. My kids think. Is that for movies, that kind yeah. of classification? Are you yeah. serious? So you just get to watch movies as, as work? Absolutely. My kids think it's the best job in the world because I get to classify movies, classify <laughs> some books, not so many books these days, but also classify video games. So I literally get to see. Oh, my God. Play video games and then classify them. So they think it's the best job ever. But then sometimes they go, oh, that means you can say no, doesn't it? And I'm like, yeah. I have the power. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, and I also sit on the board of the local land service up here for the Northern Tablelands. So I guess that's where my whole portfolio career piece comes from. Um, the majority of the and work. Recently, and yeah. recently you've just launched. Oh, mentor walks in Armadale. Yes. yes. So that was a fantastic opportunity. Um, we connected again. This is why I was so excited to talk to you because the work that you do in connecting women with each other um, really spoke to me because I connected with Bobby Marlab and Adina Jacobs of Mentor Walks a little while ago and I sort of, I guess I stalked them. They laughed at me the other day when I said that. I was like, I totally stalked you from rural, regional, remote Australia. And I sort of said to them, it needs to come out here. Let's bring Mentor Walks to the country because it is in all the capital cities and it's a fantastic program that um, Bobby and Adina have pulled together. Um, but yeah, we were really keen to get it out into rural Australia. And so we brought it and we launched last week and it was just fantastic. We had, uh, 30 women, uh, walking and talking and sharing their life experience with each other and talking about career issues or planning for the future or a just lot of women were in that sort of transitional phase as well. You know, like I've had a job, but I think I might like to do something else or start a business. So it was a, a really great conversation happening. And um, I was just so excited to have that, you know, happen here in Armadale. So it's going to go for a whole year. We're really pleased. And it's been completely funded by um, the Minister Bronnie Taylor, Minister for Mental Health and Women here in New South Wales. And so that's Brilliant. allowing it to move forward for the next 12 months. It's a very clever idea. Wow. So you obviously have your fingers in a lot of pies. Yeah. Let's just go back because I want to say, why did you set up Regional Collab in the first place? So was there something that happened that you went, look, I've just got to do something about this? Yeah. So do you want me to delve into my history now? <laughs> you can delve into, yeah, delve into a little bit and then I'm going to take you back to being when you, but um, for most people, there is a light bulb moment of something that happens. So tell yeah. us that and then we'll go back. Um, so with Regional Collab, um, when I came back to Armadale, um, it's about six years ago now, uh, I was able to get a few jobs and they were all kind of contracted jobs and it just didn't really sit with me because, you know, you get 12 months and then they extend you for another three months and it just doesn't work as far as, you know, managing kids and mortgages and all that sort of stuff. And right. I really wanted to do something that was going to make an impact in the country because I, what I could see was whilst there had been some growth and, you know, some creation of jobs and, and, and some work was being done, there were still some pockets where there were really big problems. And so um, I, I took a few of those contracts and while I was doing that, a tender came up with um, the federal government for the regional employment trials and I applied for that and was successful in getting that um, to come to our region for, it was around 18 months. And the regional employment yeah. trial um, was essentially around seed funding people with great ideas to get people back into employment. So it sort of right. sat right, you know, in the belly week of what I was passionate about. Um, and so for that 18 months, what I was able to do was help people to seed fund really great projects. So, for example, one of them was um, Armadale's uh, a refugee settlement city for Yazidi refugees. And right. essentially we kind of went, okay, let's create a program to help the Yazidi people to get back into work. And we partnered with an awesome business called Community Corporate down in South Australia and a business up here called Costa, which is like a tomato farm. They grow tomatoes under glass houses up here at Gyra. And we got together and we created this program that helped um, Yazidi men and women to get back into work. And essentially it was kind of, you know, training them in that very basic ag stuff at 
the greenhouses with the propensity yep. to then move them through and become managers um, at the end of oh, the How program. wonderful. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know very much about the, would you say Yazidi, where Yazidi. do they come from? So they come from Iran um, and some around right. Syria. And, yeah, so they, they have come. We've got oh, a couple from of From terrible backgrounds oh, for a lot of them, I imagine. trauma. The trauma is yeah. really, really tough um, on them as a family unit. And so what was really lovely was watching them get back out into the community and getting to meet people and connect. But then and also build a, you know, build a network. Yeah, and do, do some work and come home at the end of the day and feel like that they'd actually contributed because that's the one thing that they all said was we just want to be a part of the community and we want to be able to send our kids to school and, you know, have that life where this is the life we've dreamed of without having all of the stress and the trauma, you know, to deal yeah. with where they came from. So, yeah, the, that that was kind of one of the projects. But what happened for me out of that was that we only we had a million dollars that the government gave us to seed fund you nearly people. said only then, didn't you? We only, only had a million dollars. <laughs> a million dollars is big, but it's not when you're looking at I know, I know, but it's a, it's a dream for a lot of female it founders, is. that's for sure. It is, absolutely. And so we used that million dollars and we funded a range of projects. And, you know, there was all sorts of different uh, projects. There was stuff where we focused on getting Indigenous young people into work through the Inland Rail um, project that's happening here in Western New South Wales. Um right. We did some work with Backtrack who do amazing um, stuff with young kids who are at risk and they did sort of like fencing projects. We did another shearing. We did a shearing school, which was really fascinating for me. Oh, gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Up in Glen Innes and that was through our local um, regional development authority. So we did a whole range of really interesting programs. But out of that, Regional CoLab, the seed of that came to me because there were heaps of really great ideas but people couldn't get them off the ground. And it was because right. they didn't have the funding or they didn't necessarily know how to build a project that you could actually, um, you know, pitch back into government essentially. Um, so that's, yeah, that's kind of how Regional CoLab started for me. It's been a bit of a slow burn, but um, we're getting there. We're doing right now I'm working on a really fantastic project out at Gunnedah um, working on childcare. So there's a whole bunch of kind of economic development going on in that region out at Gunnedah with coal mines and gas fields and that sort of stuff. But they've built a bunch of um, like childcare facilities, but there's no one to run them. Um, so oh my god! Yeah. It just big. It, it blows your mind, doesn't it, that somebody would go that far to build things yeah. and not think, well, we're going to need somebody to actually run it. No, and so I'm working god with the, yeah with <laughs> one of the federal departments now, and we're just trying to pull together. I kind of call it a patchwork quilt of funding. I'm kind of trying to pull all the different funding strains together and go right. How about we create a pipeline of people who are getting trained up? Because you know, going into childcare, you have to start with a particular certificate at TAFE, and then you move yeah. through. You can end up with a diploma, um, and so we're trying to create that pipeline and that opportunity, but also tapping into different um, different cohorts of people who want to work. Because you might have, you know, you might be focusing on younger people wanting to get back into work. But at the other end, we're actually now also doing a bit of a focus on older people who don't necessarily want that full-time work, but they wouldn't mind a couple of hours a week to supplement their income. Yes. They're kind of retired or semi-retired. And so and many have great skills that otherwise they can't use and, and that we need. Yep, absolutely. So, you know, it's that kind of 
what I try to do at regional co-lab is do that thinking out of the box and then pitch that back into the government. And, um, you know, I just basically stalk them and complain to them until they give in essentially. Oh my God. I just love you. I love what you're doing. It has been such a fantastic thing to get to know you. So talking of get to know you, let's go right back to when Rochelle was a little girl. When did you grow up? Uh, right. So big story. I was born in <laughs> Right. And grew up there until I was about um, 12 years old. And yeah. then my family moved to the country. Uh, my, and was it a big family, small family? Small family, yeah, just okay. mum, dad, myself and my sister. Um, we moved back to the country because dad bought a pub. <laughs> oh, okay, great. <laughs> I love your dad already. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we bought a pub in a little place called Walker, which is literally like 40 minutes away from Armadale, where I live now. And yeah. I, kinda, I grew up there and we had various pubs throughout sort of my lifetime, um, you know, between high school and going into university. Um, so we had a pub in Walker, a pub in Tenerfield, a pub in a place called Booner in Queensland. Um, and yeah, that was kind of my life. And living here in Walker, I went to boarding school up in Armadale, uh, which is why my connection back to this region has remained so right. strong. So, how yeah. old were you when you went to boarding school? And was it all the time, or just during the week, or how did that yeah, work? Yeah, so I started out as a day girl, and the reason I ended up um, boarding, I was about 13, 12, 13 when it started. Um, the, the reason that I had to start boarding was where we lived in Walker, you actually get snow and I got snowed in. Right. I got snowed in at <laughs> and then I got right. snowed at home. And so mum and dad were like, yeah, I think maybe you should board because at least then, you, you know, you can just stay at school and we can pick you up on weekends and stuff. So it was pretty much like weekly boarding, came home on weekends. And so. did you love it? Yeah, I actually did. I really enjoyed it. It, um, what I tell people is it made, I actually met someone at Mentor Walks the other day and she's like, you went to school, you went to Negs. And I'm like, yeah. She goes, oh my God. And it's just this really funny connection. I think we have this because it's an equal lived experience when you've gone to boarding school. So, you know, you know what it's yeah. like to get up and be at breakfast at this time in the morning and, you know, be expected to dress a particular way when you went to dinner and, you know, you had to do your prep. Yep. So your homework was being done at a particular time and you had to make your bed properly and all that sort of stuff. And um, yeah, so essentially that lived experience so I think what it did for me is it's connected, it connected me to the, the girls I was at school with, but they were literally my village because there's other stuff that happened to me that I'll tell you about. Okay. <laughs> and they've been amazingly supportive. So, yeah, that was kind of where it all started and why I ended up back in the country. Um, then I ended up finishing school, decided I wanted to study law. It was really funny. <laughs> what is this law thing? I have to I say, I, I reckon know. 60% of the women I interview start with law. Do you know what it is too? I, I want to start coaching women and go, you know what, pick what you're passionate about. Because That's right. Because I, I made a choice and it's the weirdest based thing. Based on your marks, was it? Based on my marks and based on, I, I think, and I will say it, expectation of my family. So yeah. dad left school when he was in year nine and mum left school when she was in year nine, not because she wanted to, but because her father said, you'll go and become a hairdresser. Um, right. and so she did that and she was really successful. Mum had several hair salons around Wollongong. Like she was wow. in for her time. And I think that's where I get my entrepreneurial kind of drive from for her time. She was, she was running and owning her own business back in the seventies and early eighties, you know, and it and was multiple like, businesses. Amazing. Yeah. 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 So she what a was, great role model for you. She was. Yeah. But what was interesting was she got into the national art school and, didn't her father would not let her go and I oh. did the same thing <laughs> and they wouldn't let you go 
And they said you need a job, Rochelle. <laughs> you right. need to make an income, Rochelle. And I was like, and they're like, you can do the art thing on the side. And I was like. I do it as a hobby. Yeah. Yeah. And so yeah. I chose to do law. And, like, I loved studying it. I love language. I love words, which has become my career. So that, you know, it makes total sense. I was probably always going to end up doing something with words. But, yeah, it's interesting. I, you know, I, I wish that young women could und- – and I think they kind of do understand it more now that there's so many choices. Don't make a choice based on fear. Make a choice based no. on passion. And-, and also don't try and please your parents. It's a That's funny it. thing because, I mean, what you're talking about – my father was a, a surgeon, so I had pretty high expectations. And yeah. I was desperate to get on the stage and into theatre. And mm-hmm. they said the same thing. No, don't. And I look back now and I think maybe I would have been great. You just don't know. That's it. You just don't know. But anyway, right. it is what it is. We choose our path. So you did some law. Yes, I did some law. And then um, it came time to get into the real world and get a job. <laughs> Yeah. So the reason I didn't become a lawyer was because I got an initial job at Cause Chambers Westgarth, so a big fancy deal of a law firm in Sydney Yeah. Um, in their property section as a kind of paralegal, you know, baby lawyer moving into it. And um, I think it was like the third day there, they took me into this little box of an office and I was like, oh, this is cool, I've got an office. And then they showed me the couch and they went, your couch has a pull-out bed so that if you want to work overtime, you can stay. We like to make sure that our staff are safe. And oh, went, my God. Right. Well, I'm tapping out of this right now. <laughs> yes, well I identified. Absolutely. And I went home to my husband and I said, well, he was my fiancé at the time, and I said to him, dude, like, we're not having kids, we're not doing anything. <laughs> I will never see you and I don't think this is for me. Anyway, we sat down and had a chat and he's like, well, what do you reckon about Canberra? And I said, yeah, I think so too because we were just very much, we we were interested in politics and policy and all that sort of stuff. We were kind right. of nerdy like that. And um, so, well, yeah. What did your hubby do? What what was his qualification? Uh, he had a Bachelor of Commerce and also got an MBA. Um, right. So, yeah, he was kind of in that sort of economics, commerce He was very good with okay. me which was useful because I am no good with numbers. I hate them. I love words. I hate numbers. I know. We're not supposed to say that, but I'm with you. I know. Um, when I say not supposed to, it's sort of quite un-PC, is it? We need to own it, ourselves and the yes, fact yes, that we're good at finance and I'm just all of that feelings. stuff. <laughs> okay, so you decide to move to Canberra, obviously, in very young, in your early 20s. Yeah, yeah. So I, um, when we made that decision, I got a job, ended up getting a job with the Migration Review Tribunal, um, which is a, it was just the best first job down there ever. It was working in administrative law and essentially what I was doing was getting to review cases that had been refused by the Department of Immigration and we would review them and decide whether they'd made a correct um, decision in law or not and have tribunal wow. hearings and all that kind of thing. So I absolutely loved it. Funniest thing was at uni I failed administrative law twice. I basically almost got thrown out for my lack of skills in administrative law. But when I did the practical side of it, loved it, got it, did it really well. So who go figure. Um, so, yeah, ended up working there for about yeah. it was just seven or eight years and then moved across to Department of Finance. Um, and in Department of Finance, I got heaps of great experience, did really – Ah, so this is making sense of the why you can why you can talk government ease. Yes. You spent a long time in Canberra. I spent a working long time in, the, in that sort of space. Yeah, and um, in that you know big P policy as they call it space. So when I first went to Department of Finance, I worked in superannuation and I helped write. <laughs> 
<laughs> this always makes me laugh because the, the numbers conversation. Um, I <laughs> the public sector superannuation accumulation trust deed. So a brand new superannuation system. Right. I say that laughing. Sounds a um, little bit dry. <laughs> absolutely. Got to talk to actuaries. They rock it out, I can tell you. Um, <laughs> Don't be mean. I'm not. Sorry, actuaries, you're all awesome. But yes, That's right, we need on, them. We worked on that um, program for a while, that project, and then after it finished I got to go and work in uh, procurement, <laughs> which, again, one does not grow up saying I want to be a procurement expert, <laughs> I am. Um, and yeah, nice and- big rounded career though. I'm loving it. You're getting lots of lots of fingers in lots of interesting areas, and lots lots of learning. Absolutely, and and learning the systems and skills and and all of the bits and bobs behind how government works. As machinate the machination of you know government as a big beast. I learned yeah. so much working in those places. So yeah, when I went to procurement, I got to work on the Australia US Free Trade Agreement in procurement, and then subsequently helped write the um, Commonwealth procurement guidelines. <laughs> So, um, those guys, (laughs) (laughs) it was fantastic. Um, And so that I have to say to this day, I still provide um, advice to various agencies, both state and federal on procurement because of that work. So you never know, you never know where your career is going to take you. No, that's so true. Career is not linear. It looks like this. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and it's just fascinating to me that being the person that you are, which I think is very entrepreneurial, that you managed to fit into the Canberra, what I'm thinking is extremely dry, procedure-driven kind of stuff Absolutely. and thrive. So it's great. Yeah. I think the weirdest thing, Jules, is that, I don't know, my brain is made in this, like, so, you know, obviously I have a creative streak, which is where the entrepreneurism comes in and the art side of me wants, yeah. To, yeah, wants to go. And then because of the law stuff, I learned compliance and I learned the checklist and how to do that really well. And so I have both of those, which is kind of weird, but also really useful because, yeah, yeah great. want to do something creative but need to know how to fund that or, you know, go through a system or a framework, then I can do that. So it kind of does work out in a weird way, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's amazing. It's, it makes you fully rounded. Okay, so you, how long were you in Canberra for? So we were probably in Canberra for about 20 years all up. Oh, my God. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, So it was, yeah, it was a fair bit of time that we spent down there and it was only when we decided that we were going to start having our kids um, that we kind of went, do we think we want to make a change and go back to the country? Because, you know, having children was one of those catalysts for saying, how do we want to raise them? Where do we want to raise them? All that sort of stuff. Um, And so. And can I ask, what was your hubby's name? Alistair. Alistair. So yeah. was Alistair from the country as well himself? Yeah, yeah. So we yeah, met okay. at UNE at the University of New England in Armadale. Um, right. And he'd come from a little place called Wondoan up near Chinchilla in uh, Western Queensland. So his family. Oh, was- right. So even smaller. Yeah, from a I, don't, I say that loosely. I mean, I have been to Armadale, so it might be huge. <laughs> no, Wondoan was small. It was like one pub and a chemist. Right. <laughs> that was it. Okay, so you're in Canberra. You decide you want to have kids. Where did you decide to go to? So we decided that, you know, true to form, we came from pub family. Let's buy a pub. So that's oh, we great. Did. Yeah, yeah. So we bought a pub back in Barabah, which is just sort of 30 minutes away from um, or an hour away, sorry, from Tamworth, west of Tamworth. Right. And um, kind of came back to, yeah, this region essentially and um, had the pub and then 
unfortunately about sort of two years into having the pub, Alistair got quite sick and he was ended up, he died, he was diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. Oh my God. How old were the kids at that stage? They were two Roughly. when he was. Oh, babies. Oh my God, Rochelle, how did you go through that with Alistair? So that was, that was a curve ball. (laughs) Yes. A huge one. Yeah, life throws them at you and it's just what you do with them after that. Um, So, yeah, so essentially that happened and we kind of went, right, what are we going to do next? And we knew that the outcome was not going to be great. When you get to stage three, you can fight it, get a few years, but essentially that's what you're going to die of. And we were able to kind of process that and work through that. So that's how I ended up back here in Armadale is that we sold the hotel um, got yeah. to spend a little bit of time together before Alistair passed away. Um, and, yeah, and then that's when I kind of went, okay, well, what am I doing with my life? Um, well, I was going to say, I mean, that's so huge trying to yeah. get your head around it and, and what you're going to do. So at that stage you still had the pub or, had, or did you get rid of the pub as I, he was getting sicker? I sold the pub, but, um, it, it, again, it wasn't a linear process. Right. Um, <laughs> Alistair was getting sicker and sicker and um, so I moved him up here and then I would travel backwards and forwards to the pub. I had people running it during the week on shift for me and I'd go back for three or four days. Oh, my giddy aunt. Yeah, yeah, towards the end of the week and I had people come in and help me mind the children because Alistair was too sick to really look after them at that stage. So there was like a true juggle and, yeah, I don't know. I, I look back at it and I go, seriously, working on adrenaline and adrenaline only? Yes, <laughs> absolutely absolutely yeah. i'm sure that the stress must have just been oh you know it was huge i actually went and had and this is a this is a lesson for women everywhere i went and to the doctor after elsa died and they took my cortisol levels which is the right. stress hormone and they were off the charts they were like you should be dead like you should have had a heart right. have you had a heart have you oh been my dead? god <laughs> and i'm like no i don't know no not what you want to hear Keep rolling with the punches is what I've been doing. And it was, yeah, at that stage I kind of went, right, need to sort of get myself back on track. And I actually lost a fair bit of weight then and kind of started looking after myself as well because, yeah, you just you stop looking after yourself when you're looking after someone else who's really unwell. Um, but, yeah. So and two children of, that are relying on you. Yeah, two little boys. It's <laughs> oh, a geez. lot of pressure. They sent, yes. They, they were sent to, to help me and try me, I tell people. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the parents' <laughs> mantra. Um, okay, so what do you do when you suddenly are on your own? You've got to sell. You've, presumably, did you sell the pub pretty much straight away? Yeah, so it took maybe six months after we'd kind of moved for me to sell it. But I don't know. I like to think that um, someone above looked after me and we just found the perfect person and they stepped oh, good. in. And they wanted it and off it went. So it was fantastic. Um, and that just took a massive load off, you know, my yeah. shoulders, obviously. And then subsequently when Alistair did pass away, pardon me, I had to try to decide, you know, what am I going to do? And so one of the things was do I go back to Canberra um, or do I stay here? And basically I decided to stay here because what I was referring to earlier, all of the, the girls and women now that I had gone to school with, and university with they were like my village and they were there to Your support family me. yeah yeah lift me up when I needed it so I kind of went no I'm gonna stay here this is you know the kids like and they liked the freedom you could already see that it was a bit ingrained in them having you know paddocks to run around in and they could have pets and yeah they loved it so I, I sort of yeah. went okay gonna stay here 
And that's, yeah, so that was the catalyst for going, well, what am I going to do if I'm going to stay here? Because I still wanted to engage my brain and do that work that I, I did genuinely like working in government and with government because I understood that system so well. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so that's kind of the full circle to how I ended up here. <laughs> so regional collab was the first thing that you started from there. Yeah, yeah. So I'd worked Amazing. Small, and I had a couple of contracts, you know, and I just sort of sat there going, what am I going to do? I need to do something. Um, and then a, the opportunity also came up with the National Rural Women's Coalition, so I applied to be on their board and have been on that board for the last four or five years coming up. Um, right. And so, yeah, that you are started. so amazing. You're just, <laughs> you are so amazing, really. Particularly what's happened in your personal life, but what you've done with your career and now what you're doing to help people. And for anyone who's listening, I have to say, I've sent you quite a few people over the last while. Once I knew that you understood how all this government stuff works, and you've just been so delightful and graceful and, and generous. It's, Thank you're you. a wonderful woman. Wonderful yeah. woman. Uh, all well, right. Yeah, the, the women, just that connecting women thing, that, that just floats my boat. And that's yeah, that's part yeah. of the and we've talked about that before. You wanna you wanna lift women up and you want them to be supporting each other. Um, you know, it's such a And it feels great way. to help them. Doesn't oh, it? Doesn't it just it? makes you and feel fabulous that, um, to be able to help day. people. Yeah, in the mentor books program that we were doing the other day, I said that to a woman. I said, Look, you know, when you give your time and you give it freely and openly, it comes back to you threefold. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean it comes back financially, but it comes back in so many different ways. And you can start seeing change happen. You can start seeing the impact that you can make by being yeah. that generous and open. So that's kind of what drives me. It's like, you know, you never know when you connect two people what that will bring into the world. No, so, that's right. That It's like a magic, isn't it? You just put two yeah. people together and see what, you know, what, what amazing things come out of it. Absolutely. All right. So now we're talking about women um, and you've obviously had, I would imagine, close friends that helped you through what was going on with Alastair. But in your career, are there any women that stand out to you as somebody who really helped you and maybe was a bit of a role model for what you are doing now? And if so, do you want to name them? Because I think it's important <laughs> to give shout outs to these great women. Yeah, absolutely. There's been so many women, a huge amount of, of women who've helped me along the way. There's one particular woman in, woman in Canberra um, who I started and she she was kind of like my very first mentor, I suppose, and we're still friends to this day. And her name was Tony Pirani. She works in a very high level of government, so I don't want to embarrass her too much. Okay. But, um, <laughs> she was my boss at the Migration Review Tribunal and she was the one who actually encouraged me to move across to the Department of Finance. And she was a lawyer as well, really, really talented, is a lawyer, still is a lawyer, works with oh, what a great Department. woman. Yeah. And she just, she was just like, you've got this, you can do this. And she just gave me that, you know, energy and enthusiasm and belief in myself that, you know, even when times were tough and she, she knew government inside out, which was fantastic. So, you know, when you got yeah. hit, <laughs> she was very good at picking you back up. And um, I just learned so much from her. So she was brilliant. I um, love hearing about these women that are, you know, particularly in something like government where there'd be a lot of men that I imagine that make life difficult to have women there who are standing up for all the other women and encouraging you is just wonderful to hear. Let's name it. I was working in a pale male and stale environment. So. <laughs> <laughs> you said it. You said it. it. 
<laughs> but um, yeah, she was fantastic. And then there's been a whole, well, all of the girlfriends of mine who um, have supported me since Alistair passed away have just all been amazing, every single one of them. And they all have really diverse backgrounds. Like there's a, one who's a school teacher, one who works for a local council, you know, a, another one who's a farmer's, she, she's actually a farmer herself and has her own business. And they all Amazing. gave so much of their time and love and energy to me. So they kind of also kept me moving along um, as well. So for me, it's that village of people that I've been able to tap into. I will say, shouting out for some men, there was one man who was a fantastic mentor for me down in Canberra and he, yeah. he was the same. He sat down with me and he said, you've got skills, girl. I want to see you use them because I was – when I first started in government, I was very shy at getting up and talking. I didn't feel like I knew my subject matter enough or didn't think I had enough to say. Questioning yourself, yep. And he really pushed me. He actually, <laughs> the way he pushed me was for the MRT. He sent me on a tour around Australia to every single tribunal and made me get up oh and God. do training for the members. And, like, right. I'm standing there going, oh, my God. But he was amazing because he pushed me out of my comfort zone and he kind of was like, you can do this, but I, you, you've got to believe in yourself. And he was one of the people that I, I you know, to this day, again, I've, I've stayed in touch with him. So, Oh, yeah. he sounds fabulous. And, yeah, and, and to be fair, even though I'm asking about the women, I'm not I'm, no. I'm not in any way undercutting the fact that some men out there are amazing. And most, I think, most guys have really good intentions. Sometimes it's just that they don't quite understand what they can do to help. But Right, and so um, I think they've been, you know, they've also been, a lot of them been conditioned to, yeah. you know, be a particular way. And, once and the system is talking, set up that way for them. Yeah, once you, you start know. talking to them, you realise that's not the case at all. And that that's what I love about that Male Champions of Change um, organisation. I think it's yes. amazing because if we can work side by side, you get so much more done. And, like, yeah, Canberra's a tough – well, we're seeing it right now. Canberra's a tough place to work and some really bad stuff happens. Um, and, yeah, essentially if we can work alongside each other and actually change that systemic issue within, then we're going to, yeah, go a lot further. It'll benefit everyone. Yeah. Um, okay, so along the way – so now I'm talking about probably regional collab, um, but it can be any of your businesses, I don't mind. But have there been – so I think – what I'm trying to do with this is kind of show people that often where you start and where you end up isn't just a straight line <laughs> and shit happens that you have to deal with. Yes. And sometimes that's a blessing, even though at the time you think it can be, you know, very confronting. Have you had any moments like that in the business? Um, yeah. So essentially when I started the business, and like I, like I said to you before, I, I just want women to know that your career doesn't have to be linear. It doesn't have yeah. to go from point A to point B. It can be all of these things and those things happen to you for a reason. I, I really strongly believe in that. Yes, so, so do know, I. I believe that for some reason fate puts things in front of you and it's what you choose to do with that. And that's, you know, that was the choice I had when Alistair passed away. People go, oh, you know, it's amazing that you've done what you've done. And I kind of went, well, I had two choices. I had curl up in a ball and do nothing or get up and keep living and make a life for myself and my kids. And I chose to make the yeah. life. And I said, you know, that's not discounting people who can't get up off the ground. That's something I always talk about. Get the help if you need it. Please seek mental health assistance if you are feeling like you can't cope. Yeah. But for me, I made a choice and that choice was to keep going. Um, so with regional collab, I guess, yeah, like it hasn't been linear at all. Like, you know, I started <laughs> it thinking 
I want to do this over here. <laughs> yeah. Um, opportunities arise and you meet people and then you're like, actually, yeah, I can help you. I have skills. And, well, and tell, me, tell me about a change then, a, a change in direction that happened with Regional Collab. Yeah, so when I started, I was start, I started out pretty much just doing grant writing um, and okay. coming to us for advice on grant writing. But we knew that we wanted to do that kind of business strategy piece as well. Um, and wanted to help grow entrepreneurial businesses. And I, I'm, you know, again, through the National Rural Women's Coalition stuff that I do, that passion around helping female founders. Um, and so I kind of ended up, I've moved into more of that kind of work as well. So supporting, again, still helping them find funding and that kind of thing, but not doing that as the core business anymore. Right. Um, and not doing the actual writing of the of the documents more yeah, about like, just advising. You know, I, I can help people to do that, absolutely, if that's what they're after. Um, a lot of the time, the way I explain grant writing to people is that you're often better to write the grant yourself and then send it to someone like me who can give you an edit. Like we can go through and right. do an edit and a proofread and kind of give you feedback and go, you know what, your story is great because, you know, essentially writing grants is about impact storytelling. You're telling a story and you're trying to make an impact with the funder. Um, right. So, that's kind of the piece where I think I can give the best advice and like, yeah, I can write the words for them, but you know, are they learning from that as well? Because, you know, if if you're looking for grant funding, you're probably going to go for multiple grants. So you're not going to afford to pay for someone. And if you don't learn to write them, then you're always going to be on the back foot. And, and, you know, it's expensive, you know, getting people to write the grants for you as well. Yeah. You've got to pay for the time of the person. So that's kind of, I sort of shifted from doing the actual stuff to, to that editing and assisting kind of thing along the way and also helping them develop what the, the framework of their project might look like that they're going for the grant for because I think people just think, you know, oh, you put your hand up and you get a grant, but you don't because you have to meet certain guidelines and you yeah. have to have, you know, a good head around what that budget's going to look like and where you're going to spend your money you know, some grants are very restricted on what you can use your money for. So people go in thinking they can do all of this amazing stuff, but really they can only do a proportion of that. And so that's where I kind of, that advisory piece I think is is where I've moved to now to sort of explain to people this is, this is what you need to do. Have a focus over here. Here's a framework for putting your project together. Um, and then, yeah, working on the other side of things with the entrepreneurial stuff for women. Um, helping female founders to look for funding, but also to have the confidence to build their businesses. Yeah, I love it. I absolutely love what you do. Um, okay, let's talk about how, as a, as a single mum now, you juggle work and life. Yeah. And, you know, is it all melting into each other or are you actually sort of setting aside time and saying oh. that weekends are with the boys? Balance, yes. <laughs> How do you balance? Well, it's so, super important, isn't it? Really, well, and that's. I do, I do. I am very fortunate. I have a, a partner now, and his name is Jock, and right. Jock has a trucking. There's business. a Scottish theme going on here. I'm noticing. Apparently, yeah, yeah. And sons, James and Hamish. So, like, I'll <laughs> <laughs> go and have a scotch. Um, <laughs> But, um, yeah, so Jock has been, you know, an amazing – someone again sent to us. I don't. I reckon Alistair kind of went, here you go, have another yeah. name. <laughs> and um, he's fantastic with the boys. He's got two boys of his own. He's divorced. Um, and so between us we have boys who are 10, 11, 12 and 13, which is wow. <laughs> fabulous that and is, yep. smelly. <laughs> Look, I love boys. I love having them and I think, you know, it's it, – in some ways you're lucky that it's boys because yeah. they are kind of, and you're in the country and 
yeah, know, yeah. it's great. So much room and space and freedom for them, absolutely. So, yeah, I do have him. So he's amazing as far as like he, he you know, when I was kind of, starting the business up and still doing my advocacy work as well. Cause I do a lot of advocacy work back into to Canberra, as you know. Um, so he's fantastic at, you know, kind of picking up the slack there and helping with looking after the kids and being there for them and getting them the sports and stuff like that. Oh, fantastic. Um, he's very busy too. He's got his own business that he runs. And so, you know, we try to just juggle it as best we can. But as far as me spending time with the boys, I do, because he, Goes, he goes and sees his boys there in Brisbane, so he sees them every other weekend, which is okay. a you know, thing for him on the travel front. And um, so what we try to do is spend equal time with our boys together on like your own. and together. So, yeah. yeah, the time that I spend with my boys, I make sure that I block that out. I make sure that we have something to do, whether it's, you know, going into town. <laughs> they're, fa- they're so funny. The favourite thing at the moment is to have crepes. There's this fantastic place in town. <laughs> Why am I not surprised that it's to do with food? For us That's it was it. grilled. The boys discovered it yeah. and yeah. that was it. It was like, when can we go to grilled again? <laughs> so they're like, let's have grapes. And then my eldest is a big fan of the burger. So if we can find somewhere that has like a ridiculous burger as big as your head, he's into that. Um, right. so I just try to do some stuff with them that means we're connecting one-on-one as yeah, well. Because, right. um, yeah. you know, they're now – Hamish is 10 and James is 12 and they still miss their dad and we still – so that connection time is really important for me so that we can talk about him and, you know, have reminisces and just, you know, do stuff. And, like, I, I tell them stories. As they get older, they're so much like their dad and it's really weird because – you know, he hasn't been around since they were, they were four and six when he passed. Yeah, but, a long time ago. Oh, all of the different, you know, kind of little quirks that are coming out into it. The in little them. mannerisms and Manner- the way the hair curls a certain way. Or- yeah. <laughs> and so I really like having that time to be able to connect with them and, you know, talk to them yeah. about them as well. So, yeah, I just I make sure I schedule it in. I said to someone the other day that um, – I was facilitating like an entrepreneur's program for women, female founders, and I said to them, I said, you need to run your business but include your life in your business. So make sure that it's not all business and you need to manage it in that in that way. It's kind of I treat it holistically because I will do some work on the weekend. I think, you know, I've heard you in other podcasts talk about the fact that you'll do the same because you're driven and passionate and I will do the same thing, but as long as I have blocked out some time to spend. That's right. And, and the benefit of working for yourself is that can be Wednesday afternoon if you want That's it to it. be. Absolutely. You know, you can, do, you can do Sunday night that you decide to work. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, so okay. Do it. Now, you've heard this podcast, so you know I always ask this next question, which is, is there a quirky fact about you that most people don't know that you'd be up for sharing? I always laugh until people can't poach an egg. Like I ran a pub. What do you mean? Like you just can't cook or it's just eggs. I ran a pub and I can cook. I can actually cook really well because I had to, you know, I I can put up 30 steaks and they're all okay. Right. But I cannot poach an egg. That's one quirk about me that's very strange. And the other one. I have to tell you of a hack for that because I couldn't either for years. Wiltshire do these little things called poached egg pouches or something. I can't remember. Go and look them up. And it's like a tea bag that you open and you put the egg into it and then drop it in. And it it does it all. It's like it just changed my life. And from there I then kind of learned how to do it without the pouch. But the pouches change your life. So there you go. Right there. (laughs) 
Well, now we need them to, they have to sponsor your podcast right there. Just yeah, that's right. <laughs> yes. Anyone who sells kitchen goods, we would like you to sponsor this podcast. Thank we you. would. We would that's indeed. That's how we roll, isn't it? Yeah. No, that's one of the weird things that I can't do is I can't poach an egg, but I can cook. Like, yeah, I've had to cook for lots and lots of people in the hotel industry. <laughs> Amazing. I cannot. No, well, it's always something little, isn't it, that makes us stumble. Now, last but not least is the questions about the apps. Are you a phone person? Do you do much yes. business on your phone? I brought my phone along because I thought I must, I must decide. What <laughs> She's going to ask me, and what am I going to say? What am I going to say? And not banking apps. I know that it's not around that. No, no, not um, banking. I don't really want social media or email. I'm taking that as a given. I it's think more so. about is there some clever little app that you use sometimes for business that you love, and if you don't use them for business, that's fine. Or do you play on your phone? Yeah, I don't play any games. I'm really boring, but that's because I think, you know, I get to do all the game playing with the classification review. Well, board. God, yes, I forgot about that. <laughs> um, I actually really love my Kindle and Audible app because that's about me being able to read or listen anytime, anywhere I'm going, yeah. traveling and that sort of stuff. So I actually really, really love that. And um, I think the other one, oh, where is it? I was just looking the other day. I do use is cooking apps. I have a taste app on my phone, which I really yes. love. Yes. Yeah. And there was one I had, I can't remember what it's called now, but there was one I had where it showed videos. Mm. You know, those little videos that you see that circulate. Yep. And I just used to just like, whenever I was bored, I'd go, oh my God, I'll just look. And they would just be one amazing recipe yeah. after another. And I love that when they do that thing above the bowl, you know, and they just sort of yeah. open their hand and the eggs are in there and then cover something and it's already whipped. So it only takes a couple of minutes to see the whole recipe. Yes. I'm really into my cooking apps. It's just really weird. And I think probably a third one would have to be um, the podcast app itself because, yeah, like obviously I get to listen to your podcast but you can go in and listen to so many different podcasts. And, I, again, because I'm in the car a bit being in rural Australia and you kind of do a bit of travel, um, it's always Very nice to, to listen to a podcast, um, you know, going from A to B. So I find those, yeah, just anywhere I can get information or, or listen to, you know. People. Have you joined Clubhouse yet? I have, but you need to teach me, Jules. Oh, my God. I went on there the other day and a friend came in and he was talking to me and I'm going, I don't know. This feels really weird. I need to. All right. I, I, we, after we finish this, so we, we might say goodbye and then I'll just tell you something right. quickly about Clubhouse. <laughs> um, but anyway, and for anyone that's listening, I've just started Monday afternoons, Melbourne time, 4 p.m. We're doing a Clubhouse. So hopefully by the time this one comes out, I'm still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, but that's a She's the Boss Clubhouse. So. All right. Well, Rochelle, I don't even know how to tell you how awesome you are, but you are amazing. Can you um, tell people how they can get hold of you? Are you game? Because I'd say you're going to get a lot of people interested. <laughs> oh, look, thank you so much for having me. This That's the first thing I want to say is that My you're absolute so pleasure. bloody generous, which is just fantastic. That's how, I, yeah, I think you're awesome because of that. Thank but you. If people do want to get in contact with me, um, I'm on all the socials, as they say. <laughs> uh, you can find me at Regional Collab. Collab's got two L's. Um, so Regional Collab's on Instagram and Facebook. Um, I'm Ida side. And my actual personal um, Instagram's there. People contact me through that a lot, um, which is Rochelle with a, the first E is actually the number three, <laughs> at Rochelle. And I'm also on LinkedIn. Oh, Go stalk me on LinkedIn. Open to a good stalking on LinkedIn. <laughs> Fantastic. And I presume that you've got a website for um I do, yeah. So regionalcollab.com regional um, is also my okay. website. Um, and Wonderful. Yeah. 
either sides there as well. So you'll find, yeah, it's all kind of linked. Perfect. Well, what can I say? Thank you very, very much. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.